You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. And if you're watching Grace Online, whatever you're watching it in, uh, glad to see you as well. I'm glad that everybody can be here today. We are continuing our sermon on our series on Jonah Day. We're actually finishing it up. Pastor Farrell is on vacation this morning, so um, get the opportunity to speak to you about that and to close this series out. Now, as I said, we've been going through the series of Jonah, and we talked about a number of different things regarding Jonah, kind of just uh, how God pursues us and the cost of, uh, you know, the cost of disobedience when we're disobedient to what God calls us to do. And this morning, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. You know, one of the things that we can do with the Bible and we can do with stories such as Jonah, especially if we heard them growing up or they, you know, just become a common narrative from our childhood and adulthood, we can almost make them unintentionally like fables. They're not really real. They're really kind of this story that we heard and we can really kind of just make them almost uh, really distant to who we are and to what we experience. Sometimes we can make the Bible the unreal book. And we can make the characters in the Bible unreal people. But the reality is that they are very real people. We can look at Peter and go, well, I never would have denied Christ. But remember, this is a man who walked with Jesus, slept, ate, lived, breathed, studied with Christ himself. In the end, he said, no, I, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And we think that, well, I never would have done that. But it's, it's kind of easy for us to say that on the other side of history when we've seen how all this plays out and we don't want to be written up with a negative comment like that in the Bible. Or whatever it may be, James or John, whatever character you would identify with, and you, sometimes you found yourself going, I just don't understand how they could have done that. Well, the same thing happens here with Jonah. That each and every one of us can have the spirit of Jonah within us. And today we're going to be talking about Jonah, the ugly within. That stuff that comes out of us, that stuff that's revealed in us, that stuff that is within our hearts, that comes out in whatever situation may uh, provide an opportunity for it to come out, it, it, it's all within us. We all have that capacity. We're going to see how in this story that actually Jonah really kind of had some bad theology going on. And bad theology kind of looks like this. It's when we take our faith in God and we marry it so closely with our social or our political or our economic agenda or belief system. When we marry these things so tightly and think that they're intertwined in that way, what we believe socially, politically, economically, whatever that may be, and think that God's in the midst of that and he's all working within, you know, he is working within that, but somehow that he's supporting the agenda that we've come up with or we've landed at, that somehow what happens is that when it doesn't follow through or come through the way that we think that it should or believe it should, then we really kind of are being led to despair. And we get discouraged and we go, wait a minute, God, who are you? You're not who I thought that you were. That's kind of how all this begins, especially with Jonah. Jonah is a story about God. It's about a story about his grace and how we should ultimately receive and respond to his grace. We can be tempted as Jonah and assume that we have nothing in common with him. The truth is the spirit of Jonah dwells within each and every one of us. Now, I want to read, we're going to, uh, I want to read the section in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 in Jonah. But I want us to remember what happened just prior to this, okay? 
So he said no. God told him, said, go preach to Nineveh. I want to see them redeemed. He says no. He runs away, gets on the ship, gets tossed off the ship. Whale swallows him, says, no, God, save me, save me, save me, save me. Whale spits him out on the beach. He goes to Nineveh and then preaches the shortest sermon ever known to man. Basically says, in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. That's it. God moves anyway. People begin to come to the, God, to come to the Lord. The king hears about it. He too responds, we've got a great awakening happening in Nineveh. Despite Jonah's lack of preparation in his sermon planning. And so as a result, in chapter 4, we read this. But Jonah's... But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now make note of that little section right there. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, he just got spit up on a beach after pleading for his life. Now he's getting angry and going, God, kill me. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he would make himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Now he wants to die because he's hot. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Now you notice the book ends with a question. It's only this one of only two in the Bible. Nahum ends with a question. They both address Nineveh. God leaves it, and what, is, what do you think that that means? The question is for all of us. The question is for all who encounter this scripture in this writing, because we all have to answer this question. We all have to respond to it. It is a universal response. God will use pressure of circumstance, calling, or crisis to reveal what's within us. And it looks something like this. We are all tubes of toothpaste. This is what we are. We see on here that you know, we have these labels. It promises all these wonderful things. If I use this product, it's going to whiten my teeth. It's going to remove tartar. It's going to prevent me from getting cavities and gingivitis. It's going to make it so that when I open up my mouth and smile, the glory of heaven will shine forth. <laughs> and what happens, though, is that God will use pressure to squeeze us and to reveal what comes out of it. Now, I'm not going to get into debate of whether it is right or wrong to squeeze from the middle or from the bottom. Squeezing from the middle is evil and people must be destroyed. <laughs> and side note, for those of you that have that nasty habit, 
Simply lay it on the counter, use the end of your toothbrush, and press forward. For your, uh, my OCD friends. God will use pressure to squeeze and reveal what is inside. If I were to squeeze this, you would find out exactly what is inside of this tube. It could be what it says, or it could be something completely different. And pressure comes in many different forms. Pressure can come in the form of change, changes that happen in our society or in our culture, within our home, our workplace, a policy change, a, a change in leadership, a change in a number of different things, change in church. We change the paint color, we change the carpet, we change anything. And we see all sorts of things that come out as a result of that. We see all sorts of kind of hidden agendas or hidden offenses or hidden belief systems that come out as a result of that. God will use that pressure of change sometimes to reveal what's inside of us. God will use the pressure of circumstances that come into our life. Just because we're going through something difficult does not mean that God has not allowed that to happen in order to continue to refine us, to expose things within us, to give us a new opportunity to grow, to challenge us, that that pressure is being applied for a reason. He will sometimes allow conflict to happen, as iron sharpens iron sometimes, as you know that God will reveal what's inside of us as a result of that conflict and how we respond that is, you know, that is so key. You know, a few weeks ago, I was out in my yard, and we had this, um, we ha- for a while, we had this satellite dish system that we were using, and uh, our HOA covers our cable, and so we said, you know what, we're not going to spend money on that anymore. We're just going to get rid of that and cut that off. And it was this ugly thing. We had to put it in our yard, and I wanted to get rid of it. And so I um, was digging it up, and there was a cable that goes from the dish to the box on the side of the house. It would, And I looked to see if there was something where it continued on, whatever. It's like, no. Cable, dish here, box here, nothing in between, Line dead, I can cut it. So I decided, great, I'm going to get rid of it and cut it. Snip. Five minutes later, my wife comes out in the house and goes, "Uh, Honey, did you do something? The internet and the cable is completely dead. No. (laughs) I was just digging. After she went back in the house, I'm like, (laughs) then I repented and called the cable company. God will allow anything in our life to reveal those types of things within us and to expose it, not to shame us, but to show, you know what, I want to to see you to continue to grow. I want to see you continue to refine yourself. God will use challenges as well. Challenges are not necessarily a bad thing. They can be a positive challenge. It can be that uh, promotion that you're aspiring to. It can be this new venture. It can be a number of different things. This uh, new challenge is a positive thing. But what you do in the process kind of reveals where your heart really is. Are you going to take advantage of people or processes or systems in a way that doesn't really glorify God? Are you going to bulldoze your way through? Are you going to press through? Are you not going to consider relationships along the way? It can be a number of different things. God will allow the positive pressure of a challenge to expose those things. And pressure will usually reveal these three things. First of all, pressure will reveal our prejudice. 
Jonah was more committed to his selfish agenda of judgment and retribution rather than submitting to God's desire to redeem Nineveh. And he he desired that God demonstrate bias and partiality rather than show mercy and favor to the Assyrians. Now remember, we talked about this. The Assyrians would probably be the equivalent of, in our day and time, probably to ISIS as far as uh, the atrocities that they committed against their enemies and other people. That some of the things, some of the ways in which they executed people, some of the ways in which they uh, went about uh, torturing and just some the horrific things that they did would probably be that equivalent. And even in that situation, we can kind of be removed because we haven't been personally affected. But think about your family members or your friends or people that you know that would be personally affected and now try to create that association of going, ah, oh, this, this is a race, this is a people that should be completely wiped off the face of the earth. No, they don't deserve mercy. They deserve justice. And I want to see justice served. This is where Jonah was in this time in regards to his perspective on the the Assyrians. His prejudice against this race, against this people, was being revealed in God's pressure of requiring him to go and preach a message of redemption and grace. And as a result, that came out. And knowing that God wants to extend grace and mercy, his grace and mercy is available to anyone who is willing to accept it and to receive it. And God wants to extend that to anyone. And so God reveals that prejudice. He also reveals our preferences. Jonah demonstrated a preference in his view of God's character. Rather than celebrating God's graciousness and compassionate nature, he views them as regrettable weaknesses in his divine makeup. Going, what do you mean you want to save these people? You're not the God that I thought that you were. Why would you? I mean, that that just seems weak to me. My God would come down and rain hell, fire, and brimstone and obliterate them off the face of the earth. Not go and give them a second chance. And sometimes we can kind of, I think that if we're honest with ourselves, that can kind of come into play as well for some of us. When God didn't operate in the way that I thought that he would. And maybe he's not the God that I thought he was. And maybe that's true. Maybe you didn't have the correct perception of who God truly is. And that's why he sometimes disappoints. It's not because he's disappointing in what he's doing. It's the fact that you've had a wrong perception and you've been disillusioned by that perception. Jonah preferred his own brand of justice rather than God's mercy. Jonah had an idea of what justice looked like and what he thought should happen. And he thought that's the way that it should play out. God, this is how you should do it. And I'm just going to watch and wait and see. But this is how I think that you should handle this. And not knowing that we don't understand, we don't have an eternal perspective, we don't see everything. And it is only God who sees everything. And it's for us to respond and and think that God should carry out judgment in such a way when we have such limited understanding is so wrong. You know, James Montgomery Boyce uh, is a commentator, and he pointed out something that I thought was really insightful in this 
context. Remember, I told you to remember a certain section of Scripture. And that section actually was Jonah quoting Scripture back to God. It was Exodus 34, 6-7 that says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. What Jonah was doing, and I'll just make make it simple here, Jonah was really kind of trying to play God against God. He was quoting scripture back to God as if God didn't know it. What Jonah was basically saying was that, okay, God, you yourself said that you're compassionate, slow to anger, that you're willing to forgive wickedness and rebellion and sin. And you said that about yourself. And then you send me into Nineveh with this message that says doom is coming. In 40 days, you're going to be obliterated here knowing that all along that you're never intended to carry that out. Really kind of put himself in a dangerous place there. It's kind of the same strategy that Satan used with Christ in the wilderness. Use scripture to quote to him in order to twist and further his agenda. Now, how do we do that ourselves? The fact is that we're all capable of using scripture to justify ourselves or to promote our self-justification. That somehow we'll take scripture and go, but God, you said this. God, you did this. God, you said that. I'm not told. Now, let me put a disclaimer here. I'm not talking about using scripture accurately and righteously in the way that we are called to do so. I'm talking about using scripture to promote our own agendas, our own self-made belief systems, whatever that may be. I'm talking about using scripture outside the context in which it was always intended to be used. For instance, when a pastor or theologian will use scripture to, or use a text to conduct his own doctrine or philosophy, when we use, uh, discover a pet scripture that justifies our own position, or when we find scripture to use against those who hold different views. And again, I am not saying that if someone is, say, we're talking to a couple that is uh, having sex outside of marriage, that we say use scripture to point them in the right direction and say, sorry, this is what the word says as far as how we're to steward our bodies and our biblical sexual ethic. I am not saying that at all. What I'm saying, though, is that when we use scripture to, con- to construct our own little pet systems, our own little belief systems to justify our own agenda, and only you can determine what that is. I can't point that out for you. But we're all capable of using it in a way to, to be disobedient to God. And Jonah was kind of saying, look, hey, you set me up. Knowing all along that this is who you are, and you send me with this false message that you never intended to follow through with, and therefore I kind of look bad. Kind of almost like a guilt trip. But that's the way that Jonah played that out. Uh, author Jacques Ellul said that this, that when we find ourselves reading the Bible to find verses and passages that justify our own behavior, we are wrong and are in danger. When we read the Bible and find verses that expose our sin and thereby draw us increasingly closer to God, who will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, then we're on the right track and we will find blessing. When we use scripture to reveal what's within us and reveal who God is, then we're engaged in the life flow of the word. Any other purpose is just a selfish attempt to promote ourselves and our agenda. So it reveals our prejudices. It reveals our preferences. And then finally, it reveals our perspective. 
Well, Jonah carried out the task at hand. He did so out of compliance, not obedience. And this is what that looks like. It's like when you tell a child, okay, I want you to sit down. And they sit down in a huff. And then they say, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. They haven't truly surrendered their will to your will. They haven't really put themselves in the position of saying, no, I understand that you have a greater understanding and I'm going to do as you ask. Obedience is submission to a greater authority of will. Jonah had not reconciled his will to the will of God. We often act the same even when we are apparently obeying God. We are doing what we think we should be doing, living the kind of life we think a Christian should live. But secretly, we are unhappy and angry with God for making the requirement. For this reason, many Christians look and act miserable much of the time. The reason why so many people are unhappy that, yes, I'll go to church. Yes, I'll go to life group. Yes, I'll go to this study. Yes, I'll go to this gathering. Yes, God, I'll do what you're telling me to do. And doing all the while, not fully surrendering their will to God's will, and they wonder why they're so unhappy. Because it's this point of contention within them. There is this rub. And you hear it in story after story. Yeah, I tried the church thing for a while. Or yeah, I tried to live right. Or I tried this or that. And it didn't work out for me. Going, well... My question is, did you fully surrender or did you just go through the motions? And some of you are doing that in this room this morning. You wonder why you're so discontent. You wonder why church is such a chore and a bore. And the reality is, is that, well, it's going to continue to be that way as long as you are are just bent on asserting your will over God's. And saying, no, there are these things that I'm going to hold on to and I'm not not going to let go. I'm not going to surrender this. I'm not going to let go of this thing that I treasure and want to keep over here. I'm going to fully, I'm going to go through the motion of embracing you, Jesus, but there's still some things I want to hold on to. That is not a fully surrendered life. A fully surrendered life is saying, God, I give you access to every nook and cranny, every area of my life. And if you tell me that I need to get rid of something or I need to add something or whatever I need to do, I give you permission to do it and I will be obedient and I will be glad to do it. That is a surrendered life. I'm not saying you won't feel the pain of that change and the pain of letting something go that you've grown to love even however wrong it may be. But the thing is that you understand that there's a greater thing awaiting for you on the other side. Jonah had a perspective that if he did what God asked, God would do what Jonah desired. We cannot serve God for what we want to get out of him. He had this bartering relationship with God. If you do this, I'll do that. And we have to approach God with an even-if mentality. God, I will serve you. I will be obedient. Even if this doesn't change. Even if that never happens. Even if I never get this. It's a fully surrendered life. You can't put a condition on God. He doesn't barter. He doesn't bargain. He asks all of you or nothing. 
And until you surrender that, you're never going to fully understand his grace. Some of you are going, I don't get the grace thing. Well, you don't get the grace thing because you haven't been willing to surrender in order to experience the grace thing. Throughout the story, Jonah responded with anger. It was often brought about by unmet expectations or false assumptions that he had about his situation or about God. When God uses situations to reveal the ugly within us, it usually manifests in three ways. First of all, we have a tendency that we quit. We have this mentality of going, I'm going to take my toys and go home. I'm not playing anymore. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to participate in that. No, that's too difficult, too inconvenient. I know you want me to do that, God, but I'm just not going to do it. We just quit. Take ourselves out of the process. Christians today abandon the work God has given them because God does not carry through according to their expectations or their timetable, and therefore they miss the purposes of God. Some of you are wondering why something hasn't occurred in your life, while there hasn't been a prophetic word that has come has not come true for your life, that while a certain purpose in your life has not been revealed yet, and it could be because you abandoned the timetable and you abandoned a process that God wanted you to go through. And until you embrace the process, you will not receive the promise. The process is necessary to achieve the promise. You quit because of whatever reason. And I believe God is a gracious and wonderful and merciful God. And if we go back and say, yes, God, I'm willing to embrace that process, then guess what? The promise will come. But when you quit and you abandon it, you will miss the purpose of God in your life. We build shelters. We construct our own little shelters or domains so that we will be at peace according to our preferences. We can create our own separatist movements. And that's and it kind of looks like this. It's not necessarily that, you know, we're going to go and uh, say in a church situation or whatever or a business situation. I'm going to start my own business or I'm going to start my own little church over here. It, it, it's not, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. It can be as simple as going, you know what, I'm going to get a little alliance over here of people where I can just process, invent, and kind of just, you know, share so that we can kind of glean from each other. And basically, it's just this little area over here that we want to get, and so it can promote our own agenda and separate from everybody else so that we feel justified in what it is that we want to do or what we want to believe. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. When we build shelters, that's what Jonah did. I mean, think about it. Jonah had an entire city. It's not like there was a lack of places to stay. I'm sure there was a Hyatt Regency somewhere or a Holiday Inn or whatever it was that he could have stayed or found somebody that, you know, to, to uh, stay with and actually stay and continue the work that he had begun. But no, what he does, he quits. He wants to go up on the hill and he wants to sit up on the hill and watch what's going to happen. And he removes himself out of it and he builds his own little shack and his own little shelter. And of course, the shelter is not anything that's going to really truly provide anything for him. It's his own little makeshift thing rather than embracing what God would have for him. 
In the midst of that, too, I find it interesting that God had actually brought this scorching heat upon him. Actually, he kind of gave him a little bit of foretaste of hell in an attempt to help him understand his grace and mercy. See, the thing is that Jonah could have stopped at chapter 3, but we're given chapter 4 because what it does is it reveals that God was just as concerned about Jonah and his heart and his state of being as he was everything else. He wanted Jonah to get it. He wanted Jonah to understand that, guess what? There is nothing that you can do. I know that you've studied the word. I know that you've been obedient. I know you've done this. I know you've done that. But guess what? My grace is free to all. You cannot earn it. You will never be able to earn it. And until you understand that you can't earn it, you're never really going to be able to fully receive it. Your problem is, is that you don't understand the message of grace. You don't understand that it's free to all. And as long as we hold on to these aspects of us, it fills us up in a way that we can't fully receive what God's grace is truly about. That it is free to everyone. So we quit, we build shelters, and finally we watch and wait. Jonah had found a place where he could watch and see what would happen to the city. He wanted to be a spectator rather than continuing his work within the city. And watching that, go up on a hill. You go, okay, God, I did my beating. I did my bidding there. So hellfire and brimstone now. Nothing. And he watches with disappointment. He wanted his own sense of justice to come. And the way that looks like for us is that when we've been hurt, or we've been offended, or we've been wronged, then we'd like to take pleasure in seeing misfortune strike those that we dislike or have hurt us. We want to wait and say, God's justice is going to come upon them. God's judgment is going to come upon them. And I'm going to watch and wait and see it. And say, well, that's just really ugly. I don't believe that. Oh, no, 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 no. Because I'll be completely transparent with you. Been in ministry 17, 18 years now. My wife had opportunity to serve in a number of different places. Some of those places have been good. Some of those places have not. We've served under some incredibly unhealthy narcissistic and abusive leadership that have hurt us deeply. And I would be lying to you if there has not been times in the process that I've not wanted to see in God and say, God's going to expose what's going on in that ministry. He's going to bring it to light and they're going to get what's coming to them. And God's convicted me of that going, guess what, Jeff? You're an imperfect leader too and you've hurt people as well. And I still somehow find a way to use you and display my grace to them. So wouldn't I not do the same through them? Now, I'm not talking about we don't call out unrighteousness and sin and those types of things in the correct manner and correct process. But I'm talking about what God would deal with me personally on and realizing that, guess what? God will use imperfect people to still get his message of grace and his message of love and salvation to whoever he chooses to do so. And I had to come to a realization of going, you know what? God's still doing a work in that situation or in that church. And I can't deny that. It doesn't take away the hurt or the pain, but it puts it in a place to where, guess what? It's no longer poisoning me. When you're wanting to see that level of judgment and see that level of vengeance, it's kind of like, and you've heard the analogy before, it's like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. You're only hurting yourself. They don't know what I feel. They don't know what I'm experiencing on the other hand here. It's not hurting them. It's only hurting me. 
keeping myself up at night. But we have to be willing to let that go. We have to be wait, willing to step back and go, no, I'm not going to wait and watch and see destruction come upon them because I feel that that is the brand of justice that they deserve. It's going, God, you know what? I take them off my hook and I put them on yours. It's no longer my issue or my concern. I'm going to continue to move forward with the process and the calling that you called me to. So in this book, God asked Jonah three questions. He said, have you any right to be angry? Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And should I not be concerned about a great city? God wants to ask three questions of us to reveal the state of our hearts. As Jonah ended with a question, I wanted to end this morning asking you three questions. Who or what is making you angry? What is going on in your life? Who or what is it that when you think about that situation, you think about that person, you just feel something rise up? Who or what is making you angry? What right do you have to demand that God should favor you and not others? Well, I'm right in this situation. I did everything right. I tithe. I go to life group. I go, I go to church. I'm involved, active serving in the community. I do all this. Guess what? Grace earner. You're trying to earn favor. Favor is given. It is not earned. Your obedience is not some kind of heavenly tally sheet that God is counting in order for you to get certain merits and awards and you go to stage three of a reward system. It's not that. God's grace is free to all and he can bestow favor on whom he chooses to do so. And finally, is God not right to show concern, grace, and mercy to you fill in the blank? Who is it? What group of people, what individual, whatever that may be, you need to fill in the blank for that question and surrender that to God. I know that there are people in this room this morning that have been taken advantage of wrongly, financially. You've had someone do a shrewd business deal with you and robbed you of quite a bit of money. There are those that have been in harmful relationships. Those have been spiritually abused by other ministry experiences that you may have had. There are a number of situations that are revealed in this room this morning. And the thing is that you're sitting back and you're waiting for God to do something about it. And instead, you're staying stagnant and you're not moving forward with your life because you're waiting to see what God's going to do with that before you move on. And the thing is, you've got to move on. I'm not saying that you just bury the pain and the hurt. And the, no, that's another process. That's something you need to walk through. But I'm talking about you need to let go of your need for judgment and vengeance. You need to let go of this ugly within because that's what's poisoning you and keeping you from what God has promised and what he's called you to do. And as long as you stay in the situation, nothing is going to change. You have to let it go. And it begins by asking these three simple questions to expose it. Then you surrender it and you repent and you walk away. And you embrace what God has for you in the future. And that's what I want to pray this morning. We're just going to pray this morning that God reveals that within each and every one of us. And when we're done, I'd like the ministry teams for you to please come up front. Make yourself available to pray with those that may need some 
extra prayer over the situation or prayer about something else that's going on in their life, please make yourself available this morning. But I want us to pray and I want us to surrender what it is that may be a blockade in our spiritual growth in our life and us truly embracing who God truly is because we're just hanging on to something that we think that should be God's judgment or our view of God's judgment. So, Father, we thank you, and God, we ask that, Holy Spirit, that you bring revelation in this room right here and right now within each and every one of us. God, I pray that you show us, Lord, those in which we carry offense, those in which we carry hurt, those that we are seeking our own brand of justice, our own brand of retribution, that, Father, we choose to surrender that right now, Father. Lord, we're not going to go based upon feelings. Some of us are waiting. Some of you are waiting for the feeling to go away in order for you to do that. And you have to go beyond your feeling. You have to make a conscious, cognitive choice of this is what I'm going to do, and the feelings will follow. So, Father, we surrender that, Father, in the name of Jesus. And, God, I no longer seek justice. I no longer seek retribution. I no longer seek vengeance, God. I surrender that, and I give it to you. And, Lord, expose me where I have had false assumptions about someone. Some of you are walking in a false offense that you created in your own head, and it's not even true. It's not even accurate. You're walking at a level of offense that's not even accurate, and it's a scheme that the enemy has come in to place within your mind in order to distract you from what God's calling you to do. God, I pray that you bring revelation about that, of the lies that they've been believing, so that you can truly... Embrace what God has for you. Lord, we choose to surrender that. We choose to embrace, God, what you have for us. And God, we pray, we speak blessing and favor and God's grace and mercy over those that are on that list. And knowing, God, that you truly, fully want to not only transform our lives, but their lives as well. And God, may we walk out of this door today with a greater understanding of your grace, a greater understanding of your mercy, a greater understanding of your love, and as a result, a greater understanding of who you truly are. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Go and process this. Take it. And then we go into the community and go into the lives this morning. Be willing to embrace what God reveals to you. You guys have a wonderful day. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.